0: Hello everyone. So today I want to talk about something that has been the absolute bane of my existence um, for almost all of my adult life. I can't remember when it started but it has been with me almost all of my life. It just becomes more apparent in adulthood because you form uh, more relationships in adulthood where people are kind of more free to leave it's easier to leave you form romantic relationships and friendships and everything and for a very very long time I was very ashamed of myself because I have fought a lot in my life um, to trying to keep people from leaving me trying to keep people in my life who sometimes were Co- contributing nothing, sometimes we're not contributing anything positive. But once a relationship or a friendship or any kind of emotional investment was formed, it was to say it was difficult is an understatement because. There are difficult things, yes, and they do, and you do them. And eventually those things become easy, right? But for me, it's almost been a choice between, okay, this is a toxic situation. I don't like that word toxic, but for now we'll use it. Or this is a situation where I may be, I am subjected to bad behavior. It can be verbal behavior. It can be a group of friends who go out to parties, to restaurants, and they don't invite you. Or it can be something like someone being very verbally aggressive with me. And at one point also physically aggressive. For me, a very politically incorrect thing to say, but it is the truth. My experience with leaving relationships isn't just that it's difficult and it makes me sad. It's that I have to make a choice between staying in a situation that makes me happy and leaving that situation and dealing with crippling anxiety, crippling anxiety for years, not weeks, not months, the anxiety that may, I may not fully recover from for years. And when it's a choice like that, answers are not straightforward. When I was 15 or 14 or before, um, I realized that I had actually, I have realized it very recently that I am a very anxiously attached person. But before, you know, um, when I was 14, 13, 15, when I was in school, I wasn't dating, I hadn't started dating. Um, I would often look at women and also men are in similar situations too, but where I grew up, it was mostly women, being these extremely, extremely abusive marriages specifically, or sometimes relationships um, where the guy is like, you know, asking, there's some tests to confirm your virginity and like the, you know, things that a normal person would not agree to a person who's detached from the entire situation would call it out in two seconds. I knew a situation where a guy and his mother, this guy was dating this girl, right? And he actually made this girl, the guy and the mother took this girl to a clinic to do a fertility test on her. So that before he got married to her, they wanted to make sure she was able to carry a child and she didn't have any... I mean, pretty dehumanizing if you ask me and i would often wonder why don't these women just fucking leave so many times like why what what is this what is so special about this person why don't you just leave why don't you just leave as i have gotten older and in my own experience of and not only would this, these women not leave they would constantly try to appease Or get validation from the person who was abusing them. Or the person who didn't necessarily abuse them but didn't value them. And constantly this desire to be seen by that one person who refuses to see you. And it happens in both men and women. There are enough men like that also. This desire to make them see you in a way that will validate your existence in this world. I spent so much time raging about the fact that these women just wouldn't leave. Why? 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 And I don't know at what point that switch in my brain turned. I don't remember at what point something inside me decided that I was not worthy or I was not enough or I was not lovable. And so I had to all my life keep overcompensating for my lack of lovability to make a person stay with me. I do not know. Was it at the point where, was it ingrained in me from when my mother was pregnant because of the trauma she went through? is it ingrained in my dna is it genetic because i know a lot of people in my family they are very anxious people so i have seen my grandmother i have seen my mother they are people who have very high levels of anxiety did it did the switch turn when i experienced non acceptance by my family or i accept i understood i understood that i had been abandoned by my father did the switch turn when someone in my class called me fat or did the switch turn when i entered puberty and i realized that the guys weren't really looking at me and i wanted to be one of those girls who was you know looked at and desired i asked myself this question so many times when did the switch turn and is it something that i could have controlled I don't know and most people who have this extreme anxious attachment and abandonment anxiety, they do not know. But I do think a lot. But for a lot of the cases, it's, it's not necessarily one thing. They say in a lot of mental illnesses, uh, what is that quote? The, the genes um, load the gun and the environment's fire and the en- environment fires the bullet so i think it, it it's like a perfect storm it's a combination of your own genetic composition because genetically a lot of us have parents who are very anxious um, or have mood disorders or have personality disorders or have disordered attachment styles and then We also grow up in environments that can be very dysfunctional. And a lot of us, it's not just me, majority of the population has grown up in environments that were very dysfunctional. It's only the few who have like had a stable childhood, have a secure sense of uh, self from their childhood. So I don't know. I often ask myself when, at what point... Did I absolutely decide that inherently I was unlovable and that somebody leaving me or abandoning me was the absolute worst thing happening, uh, that could happen to me? It was worse than somebody staying in my life and abusing me. It was worse than someone belittling me, invalidating me, beating me to a fucking pulp. When do we decide? And it isn't just me. And when did I decide that in order to win love, I had to keep overcompensating? I really don't remember. But for a long time, I felt very, very ashamed of myself. Because I felt like I was the only person in the world who was like this. And it is pathetic. And not only do you feel pathetic, but people around you. It looks pathetic, that's the thing. It looks pathetic when you are putting yourself out there for someone who isn't even necessarily valuing you. Now, for, for someone who's abusing you, that's a whole different level of pathetic. But yes, this entire situation looks pathetic and then you have people around you constantly making you aware of the fact that you are pathetic and you need to snap out of it. You need to snap out of whatever it is that you're doing. So living with anxious attachment in itself, number one, is very painful and traumatic because when you do invest in someone emotionally, you live with the constant fear of them leaving. You live with um, constant anxiety of being abandoned and you live with the constant pressure of upping yourself in terms of what you can offer because you fail to see what's, why someone would be with you. That in itself is very painful. So even if I meet a wonderful person or even if I meet a wonderful group of people, even then the anxiety itself can be very painful and it's not something you can snap out of. It is like asking someone to snap out of schizophrenia. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm making this comparison. It is the same. When you hear voices, when you have bipolar episodes, you cannot snap out of them. And if it was possible for people to snap out of them, they wouldn't be disorders. Then psychiatry wouldn't be a thing. Most people who are very securely attached or who are avoidant, meaning that their general experience in relationships and friendships is a lot less painful and emotionally um, overwhelming. Never has anybody told me that they woke up one day and and they decided to be secure. They decided that they were going to be an avoidant, that they were not going to be hurt by somebody leaving. It is something that happened to them Similarly, you haven't, if you are a person who's anxiously attached, you haven't decided at least consciously that you are going to be anxiously holding on to something even if it hurts. It's something that has happened to you and you sometimes, sometimes, not always, there are people who get into secure relationships and are able to kind of come back a little bit. There are people who spend a lifetime fighting this. So that's number one. It isn't something that you choose. And I think out of all kinds of people in relationships, secure people, avoidant people and anxious people, the anxious experience by far is the most painful one. So if I could make a choice, I would not choose this. I would have chosen to be something else. Number one, it can't be chosen. Number two, there's almost this illusion that somehow you can snap out of it. Like somehow you can snap out of your depression. And that's why you will find plenty of people around you telling you what the right decision is. If you're in an abusive uh, situation, what is the right decision? I have been that person. I have been that person. And up until today, I cannot tell... A woman or a man or any any gender that is that is being abused in a relationship or devalued, Devalued. just not valued enough. I cannot tell them to stay. Like I cannot tell them to stay. But I was talking to a friend of mine one time, a very close friend, and he was describing uh, uh, his friends and. Uh, the girlfriend's relationship like a relationship of one of his friends and I was like why does this girl not just leave you know why don't you ask her to leave that was my argument and this person was like I can sit on my moral high horse and I can definitely tell her what the right thing or the wrong thing to do is I can ask her to leave her husband I can ask her to leave her boyfriend After that, when she is lonely, when she is crying at night, when she is anxious for months or years after that, when she is lonely and wants someone to cuddle with, can I guarantee her that I'm going to be there for her all the time? If she wants to speak on the phone for six hours, can I afford to be there for her? What is right and what is wrong isn't very difficult to decide sometimes but to do the right thing especially when you're detached when you're not a part of that situation but to do the right thing often requires the kind of strength that people may not have and sometimes to do the right thing means that you will be in pain for many 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 years I was talking to another friend of mine and she was being catcalled and she filed a police complaint against the guy. She was being harassed, basically. And her parents were really worried and they were like, why did you do that? You don't, you're in a new country. You're in a different country. You don't want to create enemies. What if this guy gets into your apartment and tries to harm you? Now, when you are being subjected to harassment and you just let it be, You are encouraging that person, right? This is how people gain the confidence to keep on um, harassing other people because nobody wants to really take any solid action against it. On the other hand, what she said is, if he comes to my apartment, I would rather be the girl who gave him who made him know that there is some consequence to his actions even if the cost for that is him coming to my apartment and raping me and stabbing me and murdering me. I would rather be that person than be just another girl who he's harassing or abusing and he walks away free of consequence and he walks away with added courage to do it to the next person he meets. So doing the right thing, this is the right thing. But how many of us can say, usually if I am being catcalled and especially if I'm vulnerable, if I'm in a new country, I don't engage. I look the other way and keep walking. So whatever, however big of a moral high horse I want to put myself on, doing the right thing in this world often opens you up for consequences that are a lot more painful than not resisting the bad thing or just going with the flow or doing the bad thing sometimes and now what my friend said about me saying why don't you ask your or your like friend to leave this guy and my friend saying well am i going to be there for her when she's lonely when she's anxious when she's sad it makes so much more sense. Th- that is true. As human beings, people will tell you, you know, when you are when you're young and a lot of people who are a bit older, they really like to sound like they know it all. Sometimes they, of course, may know things, but a lot of times they don't. They'll tell you, oh, it'll pass. You know, you'll get over it. True, true. The chances of you getting over things when you're younger are a lot higher. But your grief is your grief and nobody knows your grief better than you and God if you believe in one. No third person, not your mother, not your father, not your sister, not your brother, nobody knows what's in your heart. Sometimes when you're younger, you get into these relationships, romantic relationships or friendships and they end catastrophically. Yes, you do get over it, maybe consciously, but they leave a lot of trauma behind. And that's why a person who may be going into them was a relatively secure person comes out of that relationship or those friendships as an anxious person. So today, I have a lot more understanding of someone who is in a situation or a relationship where a third person can see like you, whoever it is that you are with, it's your friend group or your partner, they don't value you. But why it is so difficult for people to leave? Third thing is that people who have anxiety who are anxiously attached always are easy targets for avoidant attachment style people to be with. Because where there's a relationship, one person has to care. If both people are equally underwhelmed and disinterested and there is lack of investment on both sides, there will be no motivation to keep going. So a lot of people who are avoidants who, whose natural tendency is they don't like in, intimacy, they don't like commitment or in friendships, they really don't like to be there for people that much. They organically, naturally tend to attract people who are anxious because that is the only scenario where the relationship or the friendship will keep going for whatever amount of time it has to keep going Two avoidance will have no motivation. Um, I um, from the age of I think 20 to 25 I was very I had a group of friends um, of course some came later like 21, 22 but for a period of 3 to 5 years I had a group of friends in um, uh, when I was studying and this was in New York and I had these and because of my personality, I just kept investing more and more and more and more in those friendships. And also, I didn't have any romantic relationship in my life at the time. So that became the center of my my life. And it's so weird. Um, it's so weird that being a part of a community... And being in a relationship, not necessarily romantic, but being in relationship. Like being related to people, playing a part in their lives, them playing a part in your life, is has been... I don't think there's any other motivation for me to live. Like if you told me um, I would be the richest person in the world, but I, I would have no community. I, at this age, I think... In this space of mind, I can pretty confidently tell you I would enjoy it for a bit, and but I'd be miserable soon. Like, I would be, I don't see the point in my life, and so this became my community. And of course, I'm anxiously attached, so I always uh, gave more, and I had these hopes and dreams that one day I will have kids and my friends will have kids and our kids will know each other and they will play with each other and slowly those friendships like faded away a lot of the times even when we were in the same city there would be no contact for months and that came like a shock to me because Um, how do I say I depended on it so much like I felt like how are you not motivated to see me I am so motivated to see you I am so motivated to talk to you it makes me happy. Do, do you not want it? And now as I've spoken to more and more people who are not anxiously attached, I kind of understand that space more. Like fine, you like someone, but you don't necessarily need to see them. You don't need that reinforcement of security. Whereas for me, if you are not going to see me for six months or eight months, like it's a catastrophe because for the last five years, I have made you the center of my life. So those relationships, those friendships faded. Some I had a fallout with. Some like I uh, left voluntarily. Uh, In retrospect, would I say that it was the right choice? Yes, 100%. I didn't belong in that group. The kind of conversations that I wanted to have weren't necessarily the kind of conversations they wanted to have. My life experience and my way of looking at things, it didn't resonate with most people there and their way of looking at things and that is what friendship is made of. In retrospect, I didn't feel valued. I didn't feel appreciated and I left. It's right. Now, what is the price of doing that right thing? For about three years after that, I was a complete zombie. Three years after letting go of friendships. This is not like my marriage that has crumbled. It's not like that. It's like friendships. I was a zombie and I was in so much pain, so much pain the pain of abandonment and the exact moments when i realized that i had been abandoned by some people those moments are like edged in my memory it's like i i felt a shift like in hindi they say ke se zameen nikal it's like the earth slipped out out from uh, out of your feet I could feel the earth slipping out on my feet. It was like that shift. And these are just friendships. But the kind of pain that that put me in. For three years, I had, I was in pain and for one whole year after that, after those friendships ended, for one whole year, I had a designated crying time during the day so i would go to work and i would come back and i would uh, usually take like um, an hour to cry and then just pick myself up and go to the gym and then sometimes i would start crying while i was running on the treadmill and then yeah somehow finish my running and then come back and then also cry then cry For like 15 20 minutes and go for a shower, then come back, then cry again. It's like I had to have these designated the kind of grief I felt, it's unimaginable. Unimaginable grief. And these are just friendships. Yes, fair, you have dedicated a certain number of years of your life to those friendships, but still It's like people whose long-term partners die. And I was talking to a friend of mine, and a lot of people hear this and they are like, oh, you're being overdramatic. But for somebody who has anxious attachment, they will hopefully know that I'm not. I was talking to a friend of mine, and she is not anxiously attached. She is the opposite of anxiously attached. And she said that, if all of her family died tragically and suddenly, Even then, she may not be in this altered state for one whole year. There was so much pain and I didn't know how to make the pain stop. And nobody could give me answers. Nobody. I could go to like, I would Google. I would go to um, sometimes book appointments with online therapists Um, one time I also booked an appointment with a tarot card lady because I needed answers because there was so much pain at something that everyone around me told me was a natural consequence of being alive you lose friends you lose people get over it but there was such immense pain in my heart and I never completely recovered this is the the conclusion at least until now that pain has altered something in me permanently and this I can tell you like what I was then and what I am now I am still very I'm still anxiously attached but like what I am as a person we are two different people and a lot of the personality I have today has been built in response to the hole that that grief created in me so yeah, it's it's very painful to be anxiously attached and I felt such a degree of shame for so much of my life and it's only uh, last two years that I've been, not even last two years, last year and especially in the last few months that I have seen and I have spoken to and I have read about more and more people. Who have this type of attachment it can be something that's genetic it can be childhood trauma and a lot of our personality a lot of very 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 core parts of who we are are formed even before we become aware like are formed before five years of age or seven years of age before you are really capable of making any conscious choice so and then there are people who say who, or who claim that they entered adulthood as relatively secure people but then they uh, went into traumatic relationships and they came out on the other side being like obnoxiously anxious anxious and needy um, there is a very very bad rep for people like that. However, there's something that I'm going to say that I think should be remembered. The kind of things I have done in my friendships and my relationships where there was true investment. I have not seen a person who's not anxiously attached ever do 50% of that. So yes, there is a lot of bad rep for anxious attachment, but it's also very important to know that a person chooses to be anxious just as much as another person chooses to be secure, just as much as another person chooses to be avoided. If it were a choice, I wouldn't have chosen to be this. That's number one. So it's important to understand and people like that have a role to play a lot of the times when you are very anxiously attached, people tell you that it's, it's a thing that you need to overcome. It's so funny because I haven't heard a lot of people say the same thing to avoidance, to people who, who um, don't want commitment, but they want like something known like a relationship, but not a relationship, and they create all these situations. Some people do tell them that they need to heal, But then a lot of the times it's just like, okay, he doesn't want or she doesn't want a relationship. That doesn't mean he or she is broken. But when you are anxiously attached, so many people will jump at you and tell you that you're broken. That there's something in you that needs to be corrected. Now, does anxious attachment bring you a lot of pain? Yes, it does. 100% undeniable. Do we necessarily know the ways to heal it? Or do we even know if there is a way to heal it? And the answer is, we don't. We don't. Something as basic as acne, having acne, something that I had for 10 long years and I'm still on medicine for. If you, people will tell you they know what the right thing to do is to get rid of acne, Drink water. Wash your face. Keep your skin clean. Don't eat junk food. Food. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Blah blah blah. Truth is, nobody knows. I have seen people who drink, smoke, sleep at four, wake up at six, do cocaine as uh, like it's uh, like it's like a health drink. Drink alcohol like water almost. And they have good skin, clear skin. It may reflect on their faces later as they age. But for that moment, they don't have acne. And when my face was filled up with acne, I was an absolute toddler. I wasn't drinking at all. I wasn't smoking. I had never smoked uh, by th- uh, that time. I had pretty decent sleeping and waking schedules. My food was a normal person's food. And I have always been a vegetarian, at, at that point I was also vegan. So all milk products were out of my food. I couldn't have lived an, a more healthy life in like a city setting, otherwise I would have to like give up on the worldly life and go live in a forest, but I was living a pretty healthy life. So, the point is, even for something as basic as acne. Now, there are people who take antibiotics, right, which I took too. And the acne goes away. For some people, once they stop antibiotics, which you have to stop after a certain point, you can't stay on them forever. But once they stop antibiotics, the acne comes back. For some people, it never comes back. And they don't know why. Then when antibiotics fail, sometimes they put you on Accutane which is isotretinoin, which is a very serious drug to be taking. But for some people, everything else has failed. And there is a small percentage of people. Actually, there isn't. this isn't a small percent. About 40 to 50% of the people, isotretinoin fails too. Or it only provides temporary relief. So it's a very harsh drug to be on. You experience a lot of side effects, especially if you are on a higher dosage. But it's still, when you stop, the acne comes back. So they have to be like on a micro dose of isotretinoin for most of their lives. For some people, that doesn't work either. So there are some other hormonal or birth control pills. And nobody knows why. They keep trying different things until it works. Off topic, it's the same with uh, anxious attachment. It's the same with most things. Yes, you could, you could go to a therapist and the therapist can tell you your mother did this when you were six. Your father did this when you were 11. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend did this when you were 21. Yeah, they can tell you a lot of things. Knowing those things doesn't take your anxiety away. Also with anxious attachment, you can do a lot of wonderful things. Most poets, most writers, across nationalities have been people who have had some form of a disordered attachment, especially anxious. You, you, there is so much poetry out there that is about yearning for some beloved. This kind of yearning like you are suffering in the absence of this person and just looking at that person can elevate the suffering not everybody experiences this kind of suffering who experience and even like in cases where there is true attachment and true love or true care still not everybody experiences this kind of suffering who experiences this kind of suffering it is people with an anxious attachment because when the object or the person you are so anxious about is taken away you don't know a way to stop that suffering I kept suffering for years after I had a fallout and was abandoned you find solace in things you find you try to find relief in things you maybe write a book you write poetry you go volunteer for some organization you play cricket you play football You go to the gym. You try to find relief. But that pain never fully goes away. So yes, for anybody who's anxiously attached, of course you should try. And I think I kind of try to do that too. Like mix and match, try strategies and see what what works. But to, to believe that anxious attachment in itself is a disorder it isn't any more disorderly than avoidant attachment. And if you consider both these styles disorderly, then only around 20% of the population doesn't have an attachment disorder, which like extreme secure people. So most attachment then most of the population is living with some kind of a disordered attachment style. While anxious attachment, like I said, brings with it a lot of trouble and pain for people especially who are experiencing it. And in cases of BPD and severe mental health disorders, it also leads to a lot of uh, suffering for people who are in contact with those people. the, the, The experience of being with such a person can be very emotionally draining. But mostly it is painful for people who live with it but a lot of the times the way people with this kind of attachment are good at accepting cues from their partners or their friends for recognizing emotionally what the partners or the friends need it's peculiar to these people I've seen um, again no offense Um, every time you say no offense something offensive is about to be said But I've seen people in pain, a lot of my friends sometimes because they've had a relationship breakdown or they have some trouble with their family or they are going through something. And somehow there are people who will say things with the right intention but that will make the person's pain 100 times more. So somebody is already in pain and you come from a right place you come from a place of care but you somehow say things that puts the person in so much more pain than they were before and you're not helping because when somebody is in that much pain they aren't really listening to you mostly if you are in tune with what somebody else is feeling you just know the things that you should not say that the things that are going to make the situation worse. You may not always know the right thing to say, but you almost always know the thing that you shouldn't say. So being anxiously attached has its perks. And it isn't always something that you can change. You will be made to feel pathetic because our world does not accept weakness but our world is full of weakness we are all weak it doesn't matter what your attachment style is we are all running after something we are all greedy for something we are all timid in front of the right people we are all well behaved in front of the right people we are all obedient in front of the right people we are all weak but we don't accept weakness so, yes, you will be made to feel pathetic. But if the way I felt for so many years, that I am the only person who keeps, who has to make this choice, do I hold on to something that's not serving me necessarily? Or do I let go and then suffer for years to come? I thought I was the only person who had to make that choice, and now I know that I'm not. There are people, you can find them pathetic, you can judge them from a distance and do like do that, you know, but you can't negate that these people exist. And if there is such a large percentage of the population that has anxious attachment, that finds itself in these extremely painful and complicated situations in relationships and friendships, there has to be a reason. And the reason can't always be that they're all collectively pathetic and someone who's not anxious is better than them. If something is as pervasive in the population, there is a very solid reason behind it. And if you are somebody who is not anxiously attached and you come across people who are anxiously attached, it is very likely that they will do a lot more for you than you will be motivated to do for them. Which happens, it's like a standard thing. I hope that just knowing that this is a very real thing and it's not something that you choose. You have to make a choice between living with crippling anxiety that could actually kill you for God knows how many months. Anxiety that at the very least will not let you focus on anything else or just make do with the situation and be able to hold on to your job, be able to provide for your kids because at least you are not so anxious that you can't function. That is a real choice for uh, for a lot of people and they don't wake up and decide to be like that. And it's not also necessarily because they are mentally weak. It's like saying a person who has schizophrenia once again or bipolar disorder is mentally weak. It takes a lot of strength to live with this kind of a mind that is bound to cause you so much pain, knowing that you can't really run away from relationships and friendships because you have to live in society. I can't today, today I can choose to get rid of whatever I feel doesn't serve me. But that doesn't mean it's not, I still have to exist in this society. And temperamentally, who I am, a lot of relationships and a lot of friendships are bound to bring suffering to me, even in the future. And it takes a lot of strength to know that, to know that beyond a point, there's very little that you can do. You can try, You know, keep trying, trial and error. And there are people who have very anxious attachment, who are on medications. There are people who are on antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds. To a certain extent, does it help? Yes. But does it absolutely make you a new person? No. No medicine has the power to do that. You are going to remain who you are. And also, you have to remember that medicine is not a lifelong solution. You, I cannot be on depression medication starting today until the end of my life. That is not, I think, the goal of that medication. A lot of us do things actively to make ourselves better. But you are not going to be a changed person. And while anxiety sometimes may lead to a lot of frustration or may even look pathetic, a lot of the times people who have gone above and beyond for you have mostly been people who are anxiously attached to you. I have not seen a lot of people who are very secure do half of what I have done in some of my uh, friendships, even with their romantic relationships. So if you come across a person who's anxious, a person who you don't really understand, why they hold on to things that they hold on to. They don't understand it either. But if you could judge them a little less, maybe. Maybe know that this situation is very complicated. It's not as easy as snapping out of it. Uh, And the person is, they didn't choose to be who they are. And they are still trying to do the best that they can. And that people with this kind of attachment do have value to add to This life, they have value to add to your life too. Maybe you could see them with a little less judgment. The second thing is for people who are anxiously attached, I hope that you can find it in your heart to not judge yourself too harshly. For such a long time when I was growing up, not only also when you're younger, not only are you very harsh to other people, you're also very harsh to yourself. So when I saw a woman in my family or a girl or a boy that I knew get into relationships where they were mistreated I was very, and they were still staying, I was very harsh on them. I was extremely harsh. I was like, you are so fucking stupid. Why won't you just leave? Today, of course, I am never going to advise someone to stay in a relationship that's abusive. But I understand. Human beings are fragile. They are fragile. And some of us, a lot of us have not been blessed with the security, the mental security or the emotional security or the innate security that we needed in our childhood. So whatever, whatever it is that made you anxious. There are many people like you. You are not the only person. There are many people like you. You have things to offer. So, also, don't let people make you feel small. It is possible that you may not be completely secure even up until you die. But knowing that your anxiety has led you to help people to go above and beyond for people who may not have done the same for you and it has helped those people survive might help you feel less shame within yourself. I am anxious. That's why I have extended a hand, a helping hand to people who were in very, very critical situations and not many people around them would help them. That itself should make me feel less shame. Will I be able to make everything better for myself or for anybody else? I don't think I would. I personally have very little hope. So yeah, I have very little hope from the world in terms of that. I just hope that you're able to maybe... And this is also hard for me. I feel so pathetic so many times in life. But hopefully you're able to... You know, there's this quote by somebody I don't remember. Sometimes to survive is an act of rebellion. So you don't necessarily have to win a fight. You survive for as long as you can survive. And I tell myself the same thing. I may never win this fight against my anxiety. I may keep feeling pathetic and not all of it is my choice but you try to fight it for as long as you can. You try to survive for as long as you can and yeah, hope that helps. See ya.